0: for sand on our icy driveway and for the one who spread it. And for those who are, even on Sunday, going ahead with our new building. And for being relatively healthy, And for all of you Buddhists coming in from the Ten Directions, Seekers, Turning Up. Good morning, everyone. One of the great delights, I think, of my life, as I've been thinking about it in the last few days, is when I'm growing and learning. And I see that in other people who really get hold of something with passion and take it into their hearts, into their minds, and into their lives. So when you turn up here, I always feel it's a big responsibility of my part to help that growing process. And a lot of times I think... uh, I fall flat. So, I was going to uh, this in giving this talk. I was trying to think. Well, I wonder what would be really helpful. You know, and so, I'm hoping, in a <laughs> certain sense, that helpful mean a meaningful something that you can take to heart and mind. Yeah. Maybe not always stomach, but that's where learning goes. So let's look first at what the Dhammapada said uh, about impurity. First of all, in our tradition, impurity means state of mind or speech or actions, which have what are called uh, the three poisons, sometimes clashes, greed, anger, or delusion. And in this particular uh, reading this morning that Maui did for us, it said that the greatest impurity, the worst one I guess, is ignorance. So it's interesting to look at ignorance a, a little bit and see that it comes one of the words it comes from is avidya and a, vi- a in sanskrit means not and vidya means seen
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's an ignorance of not seen clearly and somehow the buddha says this is the buddhist stuff there's this impurity of greed and this impurity of anger and hatred and aversion but this not seen clearly is the worst one. Yeah. So let's look at that just a little more. What are we not seeing clearly? And there's an interesting, um, when I look in the Abhidharma, is a book of all the kind of very little explanations of some of the words. It says that ignorance is, um, it obscures perception of the true nature of things just as a cataract obscures perception of visible objects so we can kind of get that idea and then it says it's the non-knowledge of the four noble truths and eightfold path when there's really not a good kind of cultivation of those in our lives that's ignorance and the other one a fundamental confusion concerning the true character of a person and the phenomenal world. That we do not really know who we are. Sometimes we get stuck. If you've heard of the five and we think, well, I'm this body. And sometimes, well, I'm these emotions. I'm these thoughts. I'm this consciousness. Etc. And what we find is that we can get pretty stuck in one of those khandas. And in fact, as a good old friend of the sangha said, I'm all of these continually changing. So part of ignorance is when we get stuck with one of those. And I am. So, those are some little sort of little lessons on impurity. So, Zen Buddhism, what we practice, Shun Buddhism, does not offer a magical escape from impurity, from the ups and downs of our lives. However, as we learn the discipline of meditation, and other practices, such as the study of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, we learn to meet what arises with attention, curiosity, and compassion. And the quality of our ordinary lives is transformed when we do that. Even in the midst of the flood of events, emotions and thoughts, we can find something genuinely trustworthy. I really like that. You know that we really, at our very essence, are genuinely trustworthy. Some people call it, well, we've got the Buddha nature. But sometimes it's easier to kind of swallow if we say, this is trustworthy. We stop looking somewhere else and begin to participate more intimately in the truth of this life we already have. One of uh, the, our dharma students was—I was talking with her about this yesterday. She put in her journal um, that, and I think she's okay with me talking about this. Um, that it's really easier for her to be judgmental and just call, well, this is what's going on, I can see that, instead of getting into the nitty gritty of the details and really embracing them with attention and curiosity. It's so easy to just judge instead of really to engage. This whole Buddhist practice is about kindred, about relationship. About engaging, because ultimately we are. It's just that we get caught in duality. Yeah. So the things that I say is so, there's no magical escape. We've gotta learn some principles of discipline. We have to meet what arises with attention, curiosity, and compassion. A lot of times we leave out the compassion, and we say, if we just look at things with attention and curiosity, which is kind of the wisdom side, it's a little dry. If we just look at things from the compassion side, it's kind of a little soppy. <laughs> so how to bring the two together, because both necessary for us. To make our next step and moment wholesomely. Yeah. Even in the midst of the flood of events, emotions and thoughts, we can find something genuinely trustworthy. And stop looking somewhere else. Okay, so the next we're going to, for the last two Sundays, um, I've looked at the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path with you. First, very sort of basics. And then last week, a little more detail. Some of you uh, who have been here can remember. But this week, I would like to look at the Noble Truth of Right Speech, which is in the Eightfold Path in some detail to actually share with you some of the scripture that the Buddha um, offered around right speech. And it's often been said that of the three vehicles of mind and speech and body, speech is the most difficult one to um, kind of take care of. There's an old um, Judaic story that I like. It's about uh, this young boy who was given uh, the job by the rabbi to um, pluck a chicken. And uh, so then uh, he, he, was, he wanted to do it well and he really looked at the, plucked the chicken. But what happened was he didn't keep track of the feathers and they just yeah. went everywhere, <laughs> all over the place. And the, so the rabbi said, well, you have to get them back. And so the, you know he tried, he ran here, he ran there, but the wind had taken, the feathers just everywhere, and he said, I can't get them back, and the rabbi said, young man, this is what happens when your speech, he was trying to teach the kid about speech, when your speech is off, you say it, and then you can't get it back.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And these days, it's not from when the Buddha was around, it was easier than today because we can just do something on the computer these days, or a phone, or some other thing, and then... <laughs> yeah. so, let's, so the Buddha said it's really important to cultivate ourselves, especially around speech, and I'd like to share some of the details of that. And um, I'm wondering, as I say each one, there are four kinds of speech which I'm going to describe. And after I describe each one, I would like you to really listen deeply and then choose a little phrase which you would like to remember. And I'll ask a few people just to repeat them aloud. That helps us learn. If we kind of have to remember, we remember, we hear other people's, and then that goes with us all learning better. So this one, uh, right speech, is called the first one from the Buddha is, Abstaining from False Speech. Here when someone avoids false speech and abstains from it, he speaks the truth, is devoted to truth, reliable, worthy of confidence, not a deceiver of people. Being at a meeting or amongst people or in this amidst or in this midst or in the midst of his relatives or in a society or in the king's court and called upon and asked as a witness to tell what he knows, he answers. If he knows nothing, I know nothing. Mm -hmm. And if he knows, he answers, I know. If he has seen nothing, he answers, I have seen nothing. Thus, he never knowingly speaks a lie, either for the sake of his own advantage or for the sake of another person's advantage or for the sake of any advantage whatsoever. So what words or phrase resonate you remember or you would like to remember? Worthy of confidence. Mm-hmm. Worthy of confidence. If you think the same, you can say the same. And we'll remember better. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Devoted
0: to truth. Devoted to truth. Worthy of confidence, devoted to truth.
1: The mask is down. Hmm? The mask is down.
0: The mask is down. Okay. I didn't read that, but you interpreted that, yeah. I mean, I shouldn't say that. The Buddha didn't say that, but you did. <laughs> <laughs> the mask is down. So there's truth. No exaggeration. No exaggeration. Doesn't speak for advantage. Doesn't speak for advantage. A lot of people are nodding. Let's speak for our advantage.
1: I do not know.
0: I do not know. Mm-hmm. What a hard one to say sometimes. I do not know yeah. okay let's go on to the next one. There's four. Abstaining from slanderous speech. Mm. And I'll turn it to the female this time. She avoids slanderous speech and abstains from it. What she has also heard here, she does not repeat there so as to cause dissension there. What she has heard here, she does not repeat there, so as to cause dissension there. And what she has heard there, she does not repeat here, so as to cause dissension here. (laughs) Thus, she unites with those who are divided, and those that are united, she encourages. Concord gladdens her, She delights and rejoices in concord, and it is concord that she spreads by her words. It is concord that she spreads by her words.
1: I'm kind of taking the uh, <clears throat> negative thing, but I'm thinking of the harmfulness of gossip, how it harms other people. It harms oneself, and it harms the, the person or the people that we're gossiping about without using discernment. I mean, sometimes gossip needs to be passed on, for, but we need to know when that is appropriate.
0: It
1: does not repeat here or there. <laughs> it does not repeat here or there. You? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like the like, unite with those divided. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: We're going to say the same. Yeah. Okay. Concord Black. Say it again, please. Concord gladdens her. Concord gladdens her. Concord gladdens her.
1: (laughs) It does.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we have done now. Abstaining from false speech. Abstaining from slanderous speech. So now it's abstaining from harsh speech. They avoid harsh language and abstain from it. They speak such words as are gentle, soothing to the ear, loving. Such words as go to the heart and are courteous, friendly, and agreeable to many. For thus should they train themselves. Undisturbed shall our mind remain with heart full of love and free from any hidden malice. And that person shall we penetrate with loving thoughts, wide, deep, boundless, freed from anger and hatred.
1: A heart full of love.
0: A heart full of love. Bye. Um, Words soothing to the ear. What to the ear? Words Words soothing to the ear. Words soothing to the ear. Mm -hmm. And thus shall they train. (laughs) Wide, (laughs) deep, and boundless. Mm -hmm. And thus shall they train. Mm -hmm. And thus shall they train. Abstaining from idle chatter. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go back to he. He avoids idle chatter and abstains from it. He speaks at the right time in accordance with facts, speaks what is useful, speaks of the Dhamma and the discipline. His speech is like a treasure, uttered at the right moment, accompanied by reason, Mm -hmm. moderate, and full of sense. (laughs) Yeah. Speaks in accordance to the facts. Speaks in accordance to the facts speaks in accordance to the facts, <laughs> yeah. Which gets us to what Mary was talking about. It's really easy to exaggerate or minimize, but uh-huh. how to just be according to the facts, okay.
1: Thank you. Speaking at the right moment. <laughs> uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. requires wisdom, eh? Yes?
1: Accompanied by reason and in
0: moderation? Accompanied by reason, moderation, Yeah.
1: His speech is like a treasure.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear you, Jungba.
1: His speech is like a treasure.
0: His speech is like a treasure. Oh my gosh. It's a beautiful thing to say about speech, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Andreas. He speaks what is useful. hmm mm-hmm. yeah. <coughs> yeah.
1: <coughs> yeah.
0: Full of sense. Full of sense. Full of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I to we make bow to Andreas to it. It takes a little bit of courage to come up with some responses. To honor silence. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: To honor silence.
0: Mm. It's pretty difficult, eh? (laughs) Yeah. No, I think please. it describes me perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> That's called exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to uh, type these into the next e-bulletin so that you can look at them, and I think it's, if you keep a journal, or if you have a way that you're working to cultivate yourself and to grow, in terms of your P's and Q's, what comes out of your mouth, because a lot of times that first starts with your intention, which is the intention you set, and then often, from speech, unfolds actions. So this is some really uh, uh, important guidelines for us to take a good look at it, and we'll be continuing. Now I would like to um, share with you a story that I, um, I think offers a methodology in a lot of situations for us. And it's a story from, um, from Ajahn Brahm. I don't know if any of you know of him. He is an Englishman from Great Britain who trained in the Thai forest tradition in South Asia and eventually got his posting in Australia and has built a monastery in Australia. And he's a really a character He's got quite a sense of humor, and he's become well-known in Australia. He's the author of... The title of the book that uh, I'm going to read this little story from is called, Don't Worry, Be Grumpy. (laughs) And the other book that he wrote, Who Ordered This Truckload of (laughs) (laughs) Dung?" (laughs) <laughs> so by these, you might think that it, could he be a serious you know, Buddhist teacher, but in fact, quite lovely. And also, I'm just interested to share this kind of methodology that he brings in this little story called Describing Anxiety. And I read it to a couple of people yesterday because I got the feeling, after I read it, actually, that they thought, huh, hmm. Hey, that kind of thing. Okay, so here goes. Describing anxiety. I received a phone call from a student at Adelaide University. She had an acute case of anxiety. It was so bad that she was bedridden and terrified to go outside. The university doctors and psychologists had been unable to help her So her uncle, a regular supporter of my monastery, told her to give me a call. She told me over the phone that she'd been bedridden for many weeks. She was managing thanks to her boyfriend, who cooked, cleaned, and did all other errands for her. Boyfriends like that are hard to find. Mm -hmm. Then I asked her, where on your body do you feel the anxiety when it occurs? "'What do you mean?' she answered, confused. "'Every emotion,' I explained, "'has a corresponding physical feeling. "'So where do you feel the anxiety?' "'I don't know,' she replied. "'Well, find out and give me a call back "'when you can tell me.'" (laughs) (laughs) A few days later, she called to tell me that she noticed a feeling in her middle chest just below her breast. Describe that feeling to me, I asked. I can't, she replied. Well, give me a call back when you can describe it to me. (laughs) Three or four days later, she called and gave a surprisingly detailed description of the feeling in her chest that occurred whenever she had an anxiety attack. Very good, I complimented. Now, whenever you notice that physical feeling again, put your hand on your chest and massage that area with as much kindness as you can generate for as long as you can. If you can't manage that in your current state, then get your boyfriend to massage that area for you. That's what boyfriends are for. (laughs) And give me another call in a few days' time. When she called, I asked her what happened to the physical feeling when she massaged it carefully. The physical feeling disappeared, she answered. And what happened to the emotion of anxiety, I continued. There was a pause. That went too. She now had the means to transcend her anxiety attacks. Asking her to locate the physical counterpart of her anxiety and to describe it to me was just a means to get her to be mindful of that feeling. Once awareness of that feeling had been established, it was a simple matter to relieve that feeling with compassion and with it abate the emotion of anxiety. I had also put her in charge of this therapy, restoring her self-confidence. Every emotion has a counterpart physical feeling, often one that we are not aware of. Dealing with an emotional problem on the mental level is just too confusing. Sometimes we just go around in circles Mm -hmm. in an intellectual way trying to solve something. So that's what he means. Dealing with an emotional problem on the mental level is just too confusing. So we deal with the physical counterpart. Once the physical part is gone, so is its emotional source. Within a short time, she was out of bed and back in school. She was clever, worked hard, and graduated with honors. She was so impressed with me that she nominated me for Australian of the Year. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't win, but appreciated the gesture. I appreciated even more when, in December 2009, at her insistence, I performed the marriage blessing for her and her groom, the same boyfriend who cared for her earlier." So this is talking about anxiety, but it really there's a methodology there that would work with almost anything that we're we're feeling a kind of tension about. So if we're feeling tension with some speech, you know, to really go to the body to see where that is and to to actually describe what it feels like. And then to bring the hands to that place to take care. So this is Attention, kind of curiosity, attention, and compassion. So when we get embodied, it can make all the difference to how we're going to respond to being on the spot or whatever it happens to be. Thich Nhat Hanh had a really good formula that he taught to my daughters and me when we were at a retreat with him in Santa Barbara at least a couple of decades ago, maybe three. And he had this calligraphy, which some of you know because I've done it with you before, where he would have us all draw a line horizontally, and then we'd draw one vertically, and then another one horizontally off the vertical, and then a big circle around it. And he had us do it over and over again. And so all the kids had several papers with, let's try it, ready? And then the vertical. And then the little horizontal off the vertical. Yeah. It means stop, look deeply, and respond. (coughs) This is what we're learning when we learn something like about the four aspects of right speech or oh, when we're really learning everything is the really important uh, as we're learning to change our behavior as a human being is to really stop. Otherwise, we're just continuing in habitual patterns, look deeply. So being able to describe, know where the feeling in the body is, and then respond. Usually with some kind of compassion. Okay. So now I have um, just a little few uh, quotes to kind of spur you on a little from the poet Rumi, who is a little more poetic and eloquent, I think, than the Buddha. <laughs> and the wisdom is still there. Only my opinion, because I don't know the Buddhist stuff as well as I would like to and hope to be. So stop acting so small, says Rumi. You are the universe in ecstatic yeah. motion.
1: <laughs>
0: and a lot of times we victimize ourselves, you know? We just... yeah. And then the next one is, whatever lifts the corner of your mouth, trust that. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: oh, kind of smile. Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I'm changing myself. (laughs) 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 Be like a tree and let the dead leaves drop. Be like a tree and let the dead leaves drop. I have been a seeker, and I still am, but I stopped asking the books and the stars. Mm. I started listening to the teaching of my soul. Mm. <coughs> one. Yeah. In the blackest of your moments, Wait with no fear. These pains you feel are messengers. Listen to them, etc. I've got a subscription to Rumi <laughs> Poems for $3 a month or something. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, be able to uh, bring you some more. But in the meantime, which one did you remember? Be like a tree. Mm-hmm.
1: Be like a tree.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm? Yesterday I was
1: clever. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to change the world. Change yourself. <laughs> okay. We are the universe in ecstatic dance.
0: Uh, Buddha says, "You are the light to lighten the way." Light is simply magic.